0: Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Brian Beckham to talk about how to give and deliver a great speech. Now, I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, well, but I don't ever have to actually give speeches. We're not just talking about the speech where you have to get in front of an audience. We're talking about even when you're in the business of trying to influence a partner or a colleague or a boss to do something, to think differently heck it might even be to think about how you could set up an argument for your kids to go to bed on time. So, let me tell you a little bit more about Brian. He is a great individual to just really hone in why it's so important to have a plan around how we communicate. Brian Beckham is one of the leading lawyers of his generation. Brian's peers have voted him a Texas super lawyer 14 years in a row, and every single year that he has been eligible. He received his JD from the University of Texas Law School. He also has a background in computer science and philosophy. He brings a wealth of knowledge around understanding how we can construct and create compelling communication cases. That's essentially what these speeches are. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as Brian shares with you more insights, techniques, and perspectives so you can deliver a great speech. Wow, I am so excited to be here with you, Brian. This is a topic that I feel like I wish everyone wanted to know more about. I'm so happy for those that are listening. And hopefully, by the end of this podcast today, we're going to really help people understand how to deliver a great speech. Brian, you're an attorney. You also are, I mean, you and I have had a tremendous and a great conversation about computer science and data and AI and philosophy, you are a man that is a joy to have a conversation with. I have just loved the dialogue back and forth, and I'm so excited to talk about, you know, the communication aspect today, but because our audience hasn't met you yet, Brian, would you go ahead and introduce yourself to the Leadership Habit audience? Tell us how you came to be. You're a lawyer. How in the heck did you find yourself where you are today? Just tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so uh, first of all, I really appreciate the introduction. That's very kind of you. I, my my story <clears throat> uh, in becoming a lawyer is a little bit unusual. I don't have a single lawyer in my family uh, as many generations back as I can find. And I've looked. I mean, I, I, I've looked back seven or eight generations. So, I'm the first lawyer in the family. Most of my family, uh, at least on my father's side, were in the military. My father and grandfather were uh, lieutenant colonels in the Air Force. My mother was an Air Force nurse. My older brother was a Marine. I was in the what's called the Corps of Cadets at AM, which is like a military academy inside of a college, 24 hours a day, stuff like that. But anyway, I, I go down to I went to Texas AM University. And when I first got there, this was in the early 90s, you didn't have to declare a major. You could be what's called general studies. So that's what I was. I was playing basketball at the time, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I love computers. And remember, this is early 1990s, but email had just come out. I, I distinctly remember being in college and, and having an email address. But the problem was there was nobody to email because nobody else had an email address. <laughs> there, were like, there were like five people I could email. But, but anyway, so I, my first two years, I was general studies, but I was super interested in computers. And so I took a bunch of computer classes. I ultimately declared computer science as a major. And as part of the computer science major at my school, you can take another degree and what a lot of people would do is they would do electrical engineering or mathematics or something physics, like something that they felt complemented computer science I chose philosophy uh, because I've always been interested in philosophy and it turns out interestingly enough when I didn't know this when I made the decision Jen but the original computer science, quote computer scientists a lot of them were philosophers and so there were uh, there's a lot turns out a lot of uh, overlap between, Philosophy and computer science. But anyway, I, I, the story I tell is I spent four years in college looking at a computer screen, and I decided I didn't want to look at a computer screen all day long. So I went to law school. And what do I do now? twenty five years later, look at a computer screen all day long. So so that's kind of my that's kind of my brief. So I went to law school at the University of Texas. I really, really enjoyed law, uh, did well. And got a really good job at a big firm. And within about two years, I realized that wasn't for me. I needed to do something on my own. So I've had my own law firm now for almost 20 years called VB Attorneys. The reason we call it V, V is in Victor, B is in Brian, VB Attorneys, is because my partner's last name is Vilyasinovich. So it's kind of hard for people to, it used to be Vilyasinovich at Beckham. And then we're like, let's make this easier on people. So anyway, that's kind of, uh, My my origin story. I've I've run the law firm for about twenty years. I run a podcast on leadership, written six books. Super interested in all sorts of different things. I tell people I'm probably the most (laughs) overeducated, one of the most overeducated people you know. I know a bunch of useless things. So anyway, that that's that's a little bit about me. and, And 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 again, thank you for having me on the show. You got a great show, Jen.
0: Oh, I am happy to have you. And I love when people, you know. The quest for learning, we all know that we need to continue to open ourselves up, but and to learn more, to see things different, to challenge that. So I love that because you likely can find the patterns and the perspectives that many people can't because of the diversity of the knowledge that you have, or even just the interest in philosophy, being able to think about the arguments or think about how do we make decisions, but let's go ahead quick. I want to plug your podcast. Let's talk about your podcast. They want, if you want to go in and check in with Brian's podcast, tell me more about your podcast.
1: Yeah. So during quarantine, looking at computer screens, 10 hours a day, all this negativity. And I was just like, man, I'm so sick, all this negativity. I'm going to start a pod. and I've been thinking about starting a podcast, a podcast for a couple of years, but I was like, what the heck would I talk about? Who wants to hear a lawyer uh, on a podcast other than maybe other lawyers? So I'm sitting there on the internet, on social media, maybe mainly, and everybody's complaining and moaning and Trump is bad or this person's on the other side is bad. And I was like, man, I'm gonna try to get some positivity out in the world. So I started a podcast on leadership. It's called lessons from leaders and it's it highlights people that you may not see all over the news, but that are the real leaders and what I call the real leaders in the country. So it's like, for example, it's sports coaches, it's athletes, it's, um, district attorneys it's uh politicians that you maybe not maybe not have heard of nationally but are doing some really great things and it's turned out to be one of the best experiences i've ever had in my life and not because the podcast is maybe a bunch of money or anything like that because but because i've got to meet some of the most incredible people that i never would have had an opportunity to meet but frankly you being a, a great example like The reason that you and i are talking right now jen is because i started my own podcast and then you kind of get into this podcast ecosystem and people start asking you to come on their shows and vice versa and so yeah so the the podcast is a hundred percent focused on positive leadership and when i say that what i mean by that is in contrast to you can be a leader and we can think of plenty of examples of people that are leaders that are leading their people off a cliff or that use methods or, you know, techniques that don't work long-term. And so the positive, when I say positive leadership, I mean uh, leadership that is long-lasting, the type of leadership that uses principles that have been, uh, that have worked for hundreds and hundreds of years and that are actually trying to do good things. So for instance, I had a friend of mine who's a district attorney in a very small Texas county that most people would think would be maybe a little racially backwards. And this guy, I had him wear a cowboy hat on the podcast. (laughs) This guy started, this was right after the George Floyd incident, I had him on the podcast, and he started this program in his county, which basically allows a minority community to come in and serve as like a grand jury to say, was this a good arrest? Are, Are there things about this that maybe we should look at? But it but it's it's the type of thing you would never hear. You don't hear about this on the news because it's a small Texas county. But uh, this guy, Dusty Boyd, uh, is a leader and a positive leader. So that's that's kind of just one little example of the types of things that I kind of try to highlight uh, on the podcast.
0: Well, and I love that because we're talking about today how to give a great speech and podcasting yeah. has so many parallels between speaking right we know it's obviously public speaking in, in a different format maybe there's more dialogue but I know we're going to talk about some of the ingredients of maybe what makes a compelling podcast but really what what makes a compelling speech because if we're in the business of leadership we're in the business of, influencing others and even I just love how you kind of whether you realized it or not you know starting with the story starting with the why you did so many things that we'll likely get into today but you know we're talking about this topic how to give a great speech you would think that with the amount of years that public speaking has been around that we would have mastered this right that everyone's walking around feeling more confident or that no one is sitting through a meeting anymore that doesn't have purpose or that we're bored or checking our watch. But when you start to think about, you know, the elements of how to give a great speech, uh, why do you think that this is so important? I mean, in your work as a lawyer, I imagine you have to be able to like really paint the story, see the observations. But I want to hear from your words. Uh, Tell me a little bit about like why it's important to have this skill set.
1: Yeah, so as somebody who has thought about uh, technology. And, and by the way, my, my uh, focus and philosophy was ethics and morality and things like that. And so I, what I when I look at technology, one of the things that I think about and look about that and look at a lot is like, what's the, what's the future going to look like? Like how, do, how is technology going to change what we're going to do in the future? I've got three kids. So that's one reason I'm really interested in this. And one way I think everybody agrees uh, that technology is going to change things is they're going to be, there's going to be jobs that don't exist in 10 years. So, for instance, uh, computers now read radiology films far more accurately than radiologists. There will not be any radiologists in 10 years. Uh, there may be people that attend to the AI radiologists, but computers just do it better. And you can go on and on and on about jobs like that that won't exist in 10 15 years and so what will exist i think you know what one of my personal kind of philosophies is i'm not the type of person that just wants to talk about the problems i want to talk about the problems and and think about solutions too so like in my firm for instance nobody's allowed to come to me with a problem unless they also propose a solution so there's going to be a lot of jobs that don't exist what kind of jobs are not going to be as affected by technology and Two kinds of, and these aren't necessarily specific jobs, but communicating with people either in writing or communicating with people on video effectively, it's not going away. There are a lot of computer programs right now. Google's got an AI that can mimic human communication. If you go on Facebook and you look at the news stories, some of the time they feed up to you, it's obvious that those are written by AIs, that they're not written by human, because there's always a little bit just off about the language they use. And so the ability to communicate in writing and on video, I think, is the type of skill that will serve anybody in any profession going forward well. That, that's the kind of skill being able to read a radiology film is going to be use essentially useless in 10 years and there's a lot of other examples i could give of that so i'm not just picking on the radiologists but, <laughs> but being able to being able seriously being able to communicate effectively in writing or on video is if not one of the top 2 or 3 skills you're going to have certainly in the top 5 so so i think it's uh it's not just for lawyers it's not just for podcasters it's for just about anybody so here's an example let's say you want to run a landscaping business you got to tell people about your landscape you got to have a website nowadays who's going to write the website what are you going to put on the website how are you going to convince people that your landscaping business is better than the guy next door or the girl next door you're going to do that with how you communicate what you do and whether you do that in writing or video or both and so i I, i'm not sure there's a more important skill frankly than uh the ability to clearly communicate uh both on video and writing.
0: Well, and I, I am in total agreement, but you, every time I talk to you, it's either things land differently or I just, <laughs> I, I just love it. Because even talking about that in the era where the future of work is here, we know that artificial intelligence or AI is going to impact the way that we do our business. But, okay, here's the first thing to level set that I feel like I wish I would have asked you on our pre-call because now I'm remembering you say it there are really blogs written entirely by artificial intelligence.
1: Absolutely. A hundred percent. And so here, so let, let me tell you that. So (laughs) it is so far beyond what people realize I'm serious. It's so far beyond what people realize right now, Jen. So have you ever seen, this is just one example of, of how far, how far along this stuff is like, and it's going on right underneath most people's noses, the captcha forms where you have to prove you're not a computer by like, picking out in a in an image yeah. where the streetlights are. I've seen where the so many stoplights and
0: fire hydrants.
1: <laughs> okay, do you do you know what the real purpose of that is?
0: I mean I'm guessing to make sure it's a, well I, I always thought it was to make sure it's a human being able to identify that. Yeah, and not that's but. not
1: the that's not that's not the those are called CAPTCHAs. Those are C A P T C H A. That's not the real purpose of that. What you were doing is you are training AIs. Every single time somebody fills out a captcha and says these three images and these boxes are bikes, that data is fed into an AI. And so that's the purpose of those uh, captchas. The, the purpose of seeing if you're a computer or not, that's a completely secondary purpose. And that stuff is going on, Jen, all over the place right now. We're being used and manipulated. Not when I say used, I don't mean that necessarily in a pejorative sense, but we're being. Manipulated in ways that we don't even see anymore. So, again, that's why I think being able to communicate uh, effectively is is so important. Because uh, otherwise, you're just essentially a, you're you're a robot. You're being pro programmed by social media or the internet or whatever it is you look at. So.
0: Oh my gosh, I just, I, you know, and I'm glad that you even just weaving this in because I think the average person maybe isn't aware of what's kind of happening, right? whether it's by choice or whether it's just not realizing at all. But that we will still, no matter what AI does, and that's it, what we had talked about on the pre-call, that we will still need communication. You can't tech, or you can't find necessarily the full technological solution that's going to take away the importance of communication.
1: I'll give you a perfect example of that, Jen. The the number one, at least the last time I checked, the number one job that was not going to be impacted by technology was, guess what, a nurse. Nursing. And why is that? Because nurses have to have that close human contact Nurses have that, they have to be able to talk to the patient in a way that makes them feel better. Everybody knows what I'm talking about when we're talking about nurses. We're not anywhere close to having an AI that can do that sort of thing.
0: I don't know if I would ever trust um, an AI to to soothe me if you're giving me bad <laughs> yeah. news or if I'm in pain. Yeah. I think I would be like, why does it feel like I'm in a hold line right now? Can't I just talk to a yeah. human when I'm feeling this way?
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Crosscom is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. CRESCOM is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, CRESCOM may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crosscom.com. So when you think about the ingredients of what makes a compelling speech, what are the things that you would want our listeners to keep top of mind?
1: The very first thing I want to keep top of mind, and, and this is absolutely, go back and watch any good speech you've ever heard. And I can almost guarantee that this will be the biggest part of the speech. And here it is. Tell stories, tell stories. That is how you give a good bottom line. If, if, if people are listening to this, if you don't remember anything else about this podcast, please remember that that is absolutely the best way to communicate with people. It's the best way uh, when, when you're in the audience, it's, it's what people like to hear the most. Uh, The stories are so deeply hardwired into our psychology and into our cognition. Uh, And it bypasses, by the way, a lot of the normal defensive mechanisms we have. So, for instance, if I'm trying to persuade you of something and I just try to start throwing facts at you or data and stuff, you're immediately, most people, there's a mental phenomena where they're immediately going to start okay, you threw this fact at me, you're going to go, well, what, I wonder if that fact is accurate, or I wonder if that really applies. And so you start engaging what what's called counter thinking. Like, here's why I don't want to do what the person is trying to persuade me to do. This person's trying to convince me to do something. I need to push back a little bit. The beauty of stories is you get none of that. It totally bypasses those filters. So You know, the best way to give a speech, you could start a speech literally by walking up on stage and say, I want to tell you a story. If you do that, your audience is going to be like, uh oh, I want to hear what this person has to say. If you get up there and say, here's a pie chart, I'm going to put a PowerPoint slide up there. that has got 7000 numbers on it, and I want you to look at it and try to figure out what it is, because it makes my point. Literally, nobody, everybody's going to be asleep within about two minutes. So. Right. Advice. piece of advice number one, and this is by far the most important advice, is tell stories. Piece of advice number two is start well, and piece of advice number three is end well. Everything else after that is kind of secondary. Now, there's one other little thing that I think is really important that I want to mention. We can talk about this individually if, if you want, but a passion persuades. So if you want to persuade people in your speech, and when I say persuade, I'm not necessarily even talking about you want somebody to buy something. Maybe you're just persuading them that the speech you're giving or the point you're making is is a good point or is correct, or people should look into it a little bit more. So if you want to do that, if you want to persuade people that your speech is worth listening to and the points you're making are worth checking out, you have to be passionate. You have to feel it yourself. If you get up there on stage, hide. Uh, my name is Jen, I've been told to give you a speech, you know, I mean, everybody's asleep immediately, (laughs) but if you jump up on stage and say, I am so excited about this, I've got a great, great speech prepared for y'all today. Let me tell you how, let me tell you a little story about how I ended up on stage like I am today. And then you tell a little story about how you ended up giving this speech. I mean, people will be the attention that people have wrapped attention. So, so those are kind of, and we can talk about little details and stuff if you want to later. But though, to me, those are the four main points. Tell stories, start well, end well, and have some passion about what you're talking about.
0: Oh, my gosh. And I feel like passion has to be, I mean, because if you don't have the passion, why in the heck are you talking about it? Like that, yeah. Because I feel like off the, you know, at the beginning of that, when we don't have passion, I feel like you sense that. I can sense that if someone's just reading, you know, a PowerPoint that they've said or like, what the heck? If you don't even care what you're talking about, why does that make me want to care about? Because if you're bored by it, I'm bored by it. Or I guess that's how I kind that's of right. see passion. Like, if it's not fun to you, it's going to be hard to make it fun for your audience. How do you think people kind of get there? Do you think, what do you think clouds our passion? Do you think that's then more of that, you know, going back to the the quote that people are are more afraid of public speaking than they are of death or whatever? Is it just maybe more confidence that it's hard to exert the passion or what do you think makes it challenging for people to do that?
1: I don't, I, you know, I would say that probably would be a couple of things. One, one of which obviously you just brought up would be nervous. It's, it's, sometimes it's hard to be passionate about things when you're nervous. And, and a lot of people, really nervous when they give speeches. I've been giving speeches and I've been doing jury arguments for over 20 years now. I still get nervous before I have to give a speech. And some people it's, it's almost debilitating. They get so nervous. So that's, that's probably part of it. Another part of it is, you know, in, in this corporate world we live in, maybe there's times where people are assigned to give a speech on a certain topic that they may not intuitively or innately feel passionate about. And so but what I would tell those people is find something about your topic that makes you excited. Because, again, giving a speech, you're asking a lot of people. We were talking about this right before the podcast, Jen. With so many podcasts, streaming shows, YouTube, social media, there is such a demand on people's attention that if you're going to have people in a room for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, something like that, and you expect them to pay attention to you, you better figure out a way to be passionate about it. Cause that's, that's, that's a big demand on people's time nowadays. And we've all had the experience where, for example, I had a friend uh, text me two weeks ago. He just listened to a a podcast I had done about how to give a good speech. He goes, man, I just got back from this concert or this uh, conference. And, I listened to the speaker and he got up there. He literally talked about himself for 30 minutes. It was the worst speech I've ever heard in my life because all he did was talk about himself. And so I I think as a speaker, you have an obligation. If you're going to get up and start talking to a group of people who are giving you their attention for however long you have an obligation to find something that you can get excited about now i'm not talking about being goofy and being completely over the top i mean that's not what i'm saying at all but you you can if you look hard enough you you can you can find something that'll that'll jazz you up that'll get you excited about giving a speech i gave a speech last year to a bunch of air force officers for instance and it was on leadership and i got really excited about the fact that i was going to be able to basically the speech was the the way I did it is I said, I'm a trial lawyer. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to do a trial for you and I'm going to call witnesses and the witnesses are going to be people that were on my podcast. And I'm going to try to prove to you that they're basically five principles of leadership. And so I use the podcast, like clips from the podcast, people talking about different leadership principles to prove my point. But I was able to get super fired up about that because I'm talking to these U.S. military men and women who I have a great affection for. And I'm giving a speech about a topic that I was able to I was able to turn this speech into something as a trial lawyer that I get really excited about. That's trying to persuade people in trials. So there's a lot of different ways to do it, Jen. Uh, but, but you have a response. If you're, if if, if your answer is, I'm just not that excited about giving the speech, then my response to you would be either find a way to get excited or don't give the speech.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, and especially when we're talking about speeches too, it might not, you know, it might be around getting people excited around a change. You know, I guess when you think about, we're talking about speeches, there's different talks that you and I do given the profession, but then the day-to-day of someone that might be motivating your team to buy into an idea. And if, if you can't be excited, then who the heck is going to want to follow it? They'll be like, no, I'll just stick to what I already know. But I think you said something that is so important that a lot of people, and I'm not even sure how it happens, but I think a lot of people lead with themselves. Let me tell you about how this impacts me. Let me tell you all about me, me, me. And that is the fastest way for me to be like, do you, do you want someone to listen or do you, are we saying this out loud just so you can know that you're talking? Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, because it, it, it's it's hard when you have someone that's constantly making it about themselves, which I feel like comes down to maybe how you even start, like making sure that you even see yeah. your audience because one piece of advice I got, and maybe this is what you meant with how we start, like starting strong. One piece of advice that I picked up early on in my career, and I've heard it said a few different ways now is, You have three seconds to get someone's attention span, which is someone else that you actually have like less than a second to make them want to listen to you. And I've always thought about that as like, people don't really care about what you say. They actually just care why they should listen. But when you talk about starting strong, what does that look like?
1: I'll give you an example of, so you said you have one to three seconds to capture people's attention. There was this great trial lawyer in Houston, Texas, and he used to give, speeches all over the time. He would go in front of juries to try a case. One one thing he would do is he would walk up to the podium and they'd be, you know, they'd introduce him. And now Mr. John O'Quinn, his name was John O'Quinn. He's, he's deceased. now; He died a few years ago, but they said, all right, Mr. John O'Quinn is going to come up there and give a speech. And so he would go up there to the podium. And this, this is to your point about the one to three seconds thing. Uh, Yes, you got to capture people's attention fast, but that doesn't mean you have to immediately start talking. As a matter of fact, what John O'Quinn would do is he'd get up there and he'd shuffle his papers and he'd start getting organized and you could see him kind of, and he would do this for like, it seemed like forever. I mean, it was probably only 10 seconds or so, but by by the time he started to give the speech, Jen, people were just on the edge of their seats. They were like, when is this guy going to start? But But see, he did this to build people's anticipation, right? Because he wanted people to have rapt attention because the first thing that was going to come out of his mouth was like, just like you're saying, it's going to be super important to capture people's attention with the first thing that comes out of his mouth. So he would literally, like I said, he would sit there and shuffle paper, (laughs) it would be painful, like almost painful. You'd be like, when is he going to start talking? And then he would say, I am so happy to be here. And let me tell you why I'm so happy. You know, and I mean, the combination of the two was, it, it, was, it was just kind of thrilling to watch. So one one of these days, like if, if you're watching people, anybody listening or Janet, if you're listening to somebody's speeches, a lot of people use this technique. And that's the, as opposed to like, you get introduced and you walk up there and you just immediately start going and, you know, you just, it also helps you kind of settle in. It kind of helps you, you don't want to get up. Hi, hey, my name's Brian Beckham. I was here to give a speech, you know, it kind of helps calm you down too. So you walk up there, you get everything. I do this too, by the way. I don't do it quite as long or as painfully, but I like to catch my breath, kind of get my if I have some notes or something, kind of get them adjusted, kind of look up at everybody and then go and let your, to your point, the first things out of your mouth, uh, better be pretty dang good. Be, and, and you owe that to the audience. And so there's all sorts. I mean, there's a, basically an unlimited number of things you can start with. You can start with a joke. You can start with like some amazing statistic, or some extremely troubling fact, or there's a million different things you can do. But the point is, you're exactly right. The first few things that come out of your mouth need to be super important. There's there's actually a psychological principle, the principle of primacy and the principle of recency. The principle of primacy says people remember what they hear first, the principle of recency says, as the name implies, they remember what they heard most recently, and so that's why first and last uh, are, are so critical.
0: Oh my gosh! I see, and I like that you just brought up the rule that our our listening bias can play within that because I remember having this conversation with. Um, it was a leader that we were coaching for Crestcom, and I just remember them saying, you know, we were talking about triggers, and when I asked what their trigger was, the, the response was, well, when I have to repeat myself. And I think it's important to note that because what you just said, the primary and the recency bias. If you don't pay attention to how the human, and I, I know that you could probably explain this better than me, but that's what I just kept thinking of. I'm like, it's actually not about you. There are other things play, like at play right now. I mean, how would you have responded to that individual being like, oh, well, because like, that's what I think of. I'm like, you are competing against bias. I don't care how great your message is if you're not aware that this bias exists.
1: And the, and the other thing is, is you like, as a spin, this is, this is probably something worth mentioning as far as speeches in general is you're giving a speech for the audience. You're not giving a speech for yourself. And I think we've all had experiences where we see somebody speaking and we're like, does this person even know there's an audience out here? Cause it sounds like they're talking to themselves for the, money. You, you know what I mean? And so, so, so it's important, I think, and this is a technique is to Put yourself in the shoes of the audience. What would you want to hear from Jen DeWalt on this topic? Like, what would make you interested? If Brian Beckham is getting up there and Brian Beckham starts talking about the most boring legal case of all time, that's Brian Beckham's fault. But if I get up there and talk about the movie Captain Phillips and Tom Hanks and how I represented the crew of this ship and was on Nightline and Dateline, and here's why this was so cool. That's something that maybe people there, there's broader interest in that. And so try to, try to perceive the speech. Think about when you're writing your speech, think about it from the pers not from your perspective, think about it from the perspective of what the audience wants to hear. So as a trial lawyer, I have to think about what does the jury want to hear as a podcaster? I have to think about And you have to think about, what does my podcast audience want to hear as a seller of cookies? You want to, what does my audience want to hear about these cookies? So, so think about it from the perspective of your audience.
0: I appreciate that. You just brought that up because yeah, I think a lot of people do just think, okay, what am I trying to say here? It's not about what you're trying to say. It's about why the heck they should care. And that, that comes in with that hook in the opening. What about the finish? You know, you talked about also, it's not enough to just start strong. And maybe that plays into that bias piece that we were just talking about. What does it mean to actually then finish strong?
1: So there's, again, it's just like the beginning. There are an unlimited number of effective ways to end the speech. And so when I talk about, I'm going to talk about a few now, but it's certainly not an exclusive list. The the, the overarching point, Jen, is you have to spend the time on the beginning and the end. You probably got to spend more, frankly, a lot more time on the beginning and the end because they're so important. But there's a lot of different things you can do. So for, for instance... Again, as a trial lawyer, what I might do is I might try to inspire the jury at the end of my closing argument to do something for the greater good of the community. I might say something like, this is maybe the only time you'll ever have an opportunity to have as much power as you have. You have more power right now than the judge on the bench, than any politician. This case is yours. This person's life is yours. And when you go back there, you have an incredible opportunity to make a difference in this person's life for the next 40 years. And you, you so you would give the, you would try to inspire people in, in a way. So that's one thing to do. The other thing to do is to challenge people to, you know, you might give a speech about, I don't know, pick the topic, global warming or whatever you want to pick. And at the end of the speech, you might say something uh, to inspire people to go check out. Uh, so if you're interested in how you can, uh help with this problem. Here are five or different different uh, websites you can look at. And 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 here's what I would leave you with as a challenge to the audience on this issue. The the other thing a lot of people do is and this is actually almost a cliche in the speech making community is say what you're gonna say, say it, and then say what you just said. And so That's not to be repetitive, but at the end of the speech, you you, you might want to say, so what I did in my speech, for example, to the Air Force people, is I said, I'm going to put on a trial. And at the end of the trial, I I told these Air Force officers, I said, you're going to be the jury and you're going to vote on whether I proved my case. And I was a little nervous about doing that, Frank. I didn't want to lose my case when I had no opponent. (laughs) But anyways, (laughs) anyway, at the end of the speech, I said, I said, all right, now we're going to vote. You're the jury. Did I prove my case to you? And I... uh, I got a unanimous verdict, so that was good. Especially since I had no opponent. <laughs> but, 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 but those are just again, those are just some examples of different way. It, the, the point is not there's not any particular specific way to end a speech. There's a, there's a ton of different ways to do it, and I'm not saying any way is better than the other. Any way is worse than the other. The point is you got to think about it, and you got to spend the time on it. And a lot of people don't do that, and and so really, really, when you're giving when you when you're constructing your speech, really focus on the beginning and really focus on the end. The middle kind of, you know, frankly, usually kind of takes care of itself for the most part. It's the beginning and the end, I think, that differentiate a good speech from a great speech.
0: So. Do you have any advice, Brian, on like even how to think about the structure of it? Uh, not the structure in terms of what you just said of like how we, you know, start and begin. But would you recommend maybe starting with, like, you know, what are you trying to get them to do? Like, what's the problem? Yeah, And then what do you want them to do as uh you know, as a result of hearing you? Like, do you have any simple questions you ask yourself before you go up there to kind of level in to make sure you're, you're creating a compelling case or, you know, a structure for them to follow?
1: Yeah, so you you could you you could certainly get up there structure-wise and say something like, uh, I mean, let's pick our, I don't know what the topic would be, but you could get up there and say, here's what I want to prove to you today, or here's what I want to persuade you of today. And at the end of the speech, my goal is to persuade persuaded you of X, Y, and Z. That's a good technique because it's like, when you hear somebody do that, you're immediately going to be like, hmm, "Hmm, let's see if this person can actually do what they say they're going to do. Right. And it kind of gives you a little roadmap. The the other thing that's helpful is, is giving people a little guidepost about what, here's what I'm, I'm going to talk about this, this, and this. And then that gives people a little frame of reference before you start. But again, the point Jen is, I consider things more techniques and mm-hmm. the, the and there's a million different techniques that we could talk about, none any better than the other. It's the overarching principles that I'm more interested in, like telling stories, starting and ending well, uh, having passion about, uh, about your topic. Those principles apply across any speech you're giving. And yeah. that's why I think it's important, you know, we could, we could talk about take specific techniques for days and days and days, but the, it's the overall structure, I think, oh, and the starting and everyone. Yeah.
0: That's so helpful. And, but yeah, because depending on the nature of the topic, the type of communicator we are. Uh, maybe our role and who we're talking to, there are going to be a lot of variables that will open themselves up to different techniques that might be more or less effective. Brian, I've loved yeah. our conversation and I like the anchoring point of the structure of thinking about really understanding, and I know it wasn't necessarily this order, but your passion. Like you have to find your source of passion and energy around it. Otherwise your audience is not going to mind for it throughout your presentation. If you can't present it to them and then yeah, also right. thinking about using the stories and how we start and how we st- how we finish Brian, Is there anything else that we didn't cover today that you think would be really helpful to know as it relates down to how to deliver and give that great speech?
1: The only thing I'll say on this is when we're talking about speeches, I think a lot of people may have this image of somebody standing in front of an audience at a podium, giving a formal speech, but these principles apply when you're talking to your 18 year old kid about where you should go to college or when you're talking to your wife about where you want to go to dinner or when you're talking to your colleagues about how you are going to get the promotion or your boss, why you deserve a raise. Like if you want to go talk to your boss about, why you deserve a raise, you have to give a speech. And so <laughs> these principles, I, seriously, these principles are, are, are apply not just to these formal speech-making uh, settings that we think about, but Hey, uh, Mr. Boss, the other, I want to talk to you about uh, maybe getting a raise. I want to tell you the other day I was doing X, Y, and Z, and this is what happened. And this is why I believe, and I really love working for the company. I love what I'm doing. I have some, I here's some two ideas. I have to make the company better. And, uh, all, you're giving a speech. You're trying to persuade somebody. So the principles that I'm talking about apply not just to a trial or stand in front of a jury or some somebody like a, a professional like you stand in front of a big audience giving a speech. It applies to every single thing you do in your life where you're trying to persuade anybody.
0: We're all in the business of influencing. We are all there. That's right. Brian, how can our audience get in touch with you?
1: Uh, so I have, uh, my law firm is vbattorneys.com, v B is Victor B isn't Brian attorneys, all one word.com. And then I'm, I might, I host, I, I'm an all- photographer and I write stuff and do the podcast. And that website is Brian Beckham, kind of a funny spelling B E C K C O M Brian Beckham.org. And then I'm fairly active on Facebook, on Instagram and on Twitter <clears throat> under my own name, Brian Beckham.
0: Brian, thank you so much. And I I love again the closing points that no matter what you're trying to do, this is a framework that you can use, whether you're talking to one person or you're talking to hundreds of people. Brian, thank you so much for giving your time, your expertise, your experience. Oh my gosh, you need to check out just have conversations with Brian. I'm telling you, I want to have like an hour-long conversation (laughs) about so many different things with you. Thank you so much for just giving us the gift of your time and expertise to help our audience be better speakers and influencers. Thank you so much, Brian.
1: Thank you, Jen. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit podcast. I love my conversation with Brian. Oh my gosh. There are even just so many things I love to talking with Brian about. I would encourage you to get to know more about him. If you want to head over to his website, you can go to vbattorneys.com or you can find that link in our show notes. There you can get to know a little bit more about his background. Heck, you can subscribe to his podcast. I think the lessons from leaders is an essential one that we all need to hear. If you know someone that listened to this or that could benefit from listening to this, don't forget to share them. And of course, if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. Until next time.